0: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania, and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers. Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff
1: Show. A fascinating game this past weekend, with a 55-10 win for Penn State over Rutgers, I'm Jim Galanti, along with just the guy to break it all down for us, T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I do have a question, though. Is that what people want from me
2: at this point in the season? Because I feel like they don't care anymore of, you know, Ohio State. What happened? How did that happen? You beat Rutgers by 55, and people are like, hey, Thanksgiving's next week. (laughs) There gets to be a certain point in the season I feel like people want less analytical breakdowns And more they want uh, the other stuff But I'm here to provide whatever you want today, Jim I've got it all on lockdown So we can have the big conversations The little conversations, whatever
1: Well, as I tell folks all the time, T. Frank I get my impressions from watching the game I get my first impression watching it live I then watch the tape and get more impressions Then I talk to T. Frank and get what really happened, okay? So that's what I need you for. I need you to set me straight. There's what I thought I saw, and then there's what really happened. So that's why we've got you. Let's get right to it, T. Frank. Uh, Several players out with injury, that's to be expected this time of year late in the season. Yeah, We've been dealing with a couple of those injuries for several weeks now. Let's start with the new one. Let's start with Parker Washington being out. Now, he's established himself, especially over the last several weeks, as the number one wide receiver. This was the first time that group had to do it without him. How did they do? Uh, Mitchell Tinsley was good. (laughs) And you know what? I
2: think Trey Wallace did okay. So, what happened was, it was what they did in the spring game as well, where Parker Washington didn't play in the spring game. He was not a, he was a non-contact participant. Um, So, Mitchell Tinsley moved into the slot, and then Keandre Lambert-Smith took his spot at receiver, and then they brought uh, Trey Wallace over, you know, kind of just shuffle down the line. And, uh... Tinsley became the focal point of the offense, but I don't feel like they got the ball to him enough early in the game. They did not try to establish him specifically as the presence to beat, because once they did that, everything was, like, fine. You know, everything kind of got going. Keandre Lambert-Smith struggled in a lot of different ways. Struggled with screens. Um, You know, in my film study that I put up yesterday, I I I have a clip where James Franklin is, uh, coaching with enthusiasm from the sideline <laughs> on a uh, on a screen play where Keandre Lambert-Smith decided to run backwards and then forwards and get exactly zero yards. Uh, he struggles, man. He struggles with contact, and if you're going to be at that X position, you've got to be big, you got to play big. Uh, well, you don't have to be big, but you have to play big. And, and that's always been his thing, uh, not just off the line of scrimmage with press, but also in the route, winning and establishing his position on the field and then at the catch point through contact, any sort of contact, and he plays small, and that's a that's an issue against Rutgers, who was playing press man coverage and forcing tight window throws. So without your best route runner or one of your best route runners, and uh, you know essentially down a man that beats man coverage, you had a bit of an issue, which is part of the reason the passing game struggled, but not the entire reason the passing game struggled on Saturday.
1: What was the other reason?
2: Oh, that'd be Sean Clifford. You know, just another standard Sean Clifford doesn't do certain things game. Uh, each week I try to have a theme or, or kind of a way to say stuff that makes sense. And uh, I think I finally cracked the code on Sean Clifford. Because this is not the first time we've seen teams want to play press man coverage against Sean Clifford. Um, you... He is like a sub shop. You go into your favorite sub shop and you get a choice of toppings, right? So you can only choose two meats. You can only get a cheese. And th- so there's a there's a list of, of ingredients from Sean Clifford you can pick. There's like six of them and you can pick two each game. So if you want him to hit his check downs, um, you you can't get him seeing the pressure and also reading the field. If you want him to not throw turnovers, you don't get good decisions elsewhere. So that's what we got. We got a we got the the basic Clifford number three, which is uh, no turnovers, but also no real yardage or beating, you know, playing above his head. So this is the problem with kind of the, the watching the TV copy. I hate this when they get too tight on the offensive line and the quarterback, and you don't get to see what's going on downfield. And they were consistently receivers open, whether it was when he was scrambling or against zone coverages when Pence got those zone coverages. And he, whether it was to avoid the, the ugly overthrow interception to the safety or just the standard he doesn't throw with anticipation and timing, all of that was left on the table. All of those throws were left on the table. And when, when you're then throwing into tight coverages, you, you're going to miss some. You know, you're going to miss some of those throws. And, and Clifford missed some of them. Some of them were dropped and you got the result you did, which was punting on five of the first six possessions.
1: Well, fortunately, though, T. Frank, as you always say, we've got a limited amount of selections with T. Frank, but what we always get is his superpower, as the announcers told us, in lining up the blocking and setting up the running. Yeah. Those are the first things I think about when I talk about building the super quarterback.
2: (laughs) Um, So uh, about that, um, that did come into, so the decision making process came into focus this week because if you are going to stack the box, if you're if you're Rutgers and they were they were adding safeties in late, they were tricking Penn State into running into the strength of the formation, doing a lot of smart things and executing it well. Penn State has to counter with some of the other things that defeat that. If you're playing man coverage, RPOs, motion, pulling guys out of the formation, has to be a part of the strategy. And uh, the, RP, the, the read option game, the goal for Rutgers was the running backs aren't going to beat us. Come hell or high water, that's not happening. The running backs are not going to beat us. So the end man on the line of scrimmage is crashing. They're bringing eight in the box. That's where the quarterback has to be smart with the read options. Because if you're dedicating all those resources to clog the middle of the field, then your screens are open on the outside and your read option game is open and on the third down that they didn't convert to Katron Allen who got tackled to the backfield you know again this is in my film study you can go check it out bluewhiteillustrated.com that he started arguing with the sideline because he didn't he was supposed to keep that ball and he didn't so the very next play there was a there was a false start on the punt or whatever and Pence got a, f- a fresh set of first downs the very next play they call a quarterback run to kind of emphasize you need to keep the ball and then from there the, the RPO game opened up, the uh, option game opened up, and then in the third quarter, finally they found a way to to kind of influence the safeties, get the the box count back to even, and then Catron Allen run, rips off a 40-yard, 50-yard run, whatever it was. So it took a moment, and it took some of that Sean Clifford has to keep, you know, he was making bad decisions, but then he started making good decisions with the football, and everything opened up. So as much as Some things are to his uh, detriment. That part does have to be to his credit, even though it starts off with him being bad at something first.
1: (laughs) Well, so what you're telling me is despite it being his superpower, it doesn't always work that way with him making the right decision. And since you brought it up, I did want to ask you about this, T. Frank. It appears more so this year than other years, he's reluctant to keep the ball and run. And yeah. he does seem a lot more limited when he does run the ball than he has been in the past. But it seems to me that he's got to at least show the threat of keeping the ball. Like on on the read option, one of the options is the quarterback keeping the ball. And if you never keep the ball as the quarterback, it kind of defeats the purpose, Right.
2: Yeah, and so there's there's two factors to this that I do want to emphasize. The first is that's correct. You have to keep the football for them to respect it. And um, Rutgers was not respecting the quarterback option. But this is a trend in football now. Um, we have married the read option to every single offense. So you got guys that are not runners, that are just, you know, I think you, if you, if we still wanted to do the kind of basic calculus of pocket versus scrambling quarterback or dual threat, all these guys are kind of pocket guys and, and they're being asked to do the read option. So are they athletic enough to execute it? Yeah. But a lot of quarterbacks don't keep. It's not just Sean Clifford. This is, I don't know if it's a trend or if it's just, you know, what I described of everyone using read option. So you've got to, uh, you got guys that are not naturally good at it. That's kind of the trend. So I don't want to put it all on Clifford, but it is also correct that, you know, if you've got it in there, you've got to make that read and you got to make that decision correctly. And I was talking to some people on the, I was talking about this on the Monday show that we do, uh, the Daily Edition, that, you know, one of the differences between Sean Clifford and Trace McSorley is Trace just made better decisions, not necessarily as a passer, but overall, when to keep the ball, when to throw the RPO, you know, reading and reacting in that moment. The consistency of Trace McSorley, whether or not he had the tools to be a high-end quarterback is immaterial because he had all that talent around him, and he could make the offense work. Sean Clifford has always struggled with the consistency of making the right decisions with the RPO read option and then the passing game. And part of it is, like, that's a lot of decisions. I know that James Franklin, I asked him this one time, and he kind of brushed it off saying it's just counting numbers whether you throw the, the screen or not, but you've got to be right, and you've got to make sure that in the post-snap that they don't rotate over there. You've got to know the box count. You've got to make all of that mental processing before the snap, and then you've got to be a quarterback. So there are a lot of decisions on the quarterback's plate, even if he's being helped by the sideline with a lot of these things.
1: I think you answered in all this one of my other questions, T. Frank, which was why again such a slow start on the offense yeah was it again just that decision making process
2: yes and no i I do want to give credit to the fact that uh each game you're going to the way i've described is like a discovery phase of okay so what's the wrinkle from this team this week you know what are they doing differently than they've done in the past that we haven't seen on film and um Sean Clifford has to go through that each week, right? He's, he's the guy that has to, with the uh, offensive coordinator, find out all of the game plan adjustments from the opposing team. So starting out slow is, is kind of one thing that always happens. Now, the offense is supposed to also have wrinkles that are supposed to help with that, but the execution from the quarterback and, and the inconsistency from, inconsistency from the quarterback, he's not talented enough to make up for that lack of knowing Against the defense, there 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 is not an overwhelming trait from the quarterback. And then, if you can stop the run game with numbers, you you've got a, a delayed offense until Mike Yersich can scheme around all of the problems, which take a couple drives to understand what they're doing.
1: All right, you heard it from T. Frank. Sean Clifford should be immediately benched, and Drew Allard brought in to play the rest of the season. That's it for quarter number one. All we'll one games left. We'll pick up this conversation in quarter number two.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands as well as weekly experimental recipes. New Trail Broken Heels is Pennsylvania's favorite local hazy IPA. This beer is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is perfect for a pregame tailgate all the way through the victory celebration.
1: For daily coverage of the school, team, and place you
0: love. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at TechResults.com. That's T E K Results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in Central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers. Welcome back to the Keystone
1: Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. It's quarter number two, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. They brew their beer right here in central Pennsylvania and deliver it fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. And I constantly tell you, your biggest dilemma is going to be which of their many options to select. I've been recommending the Hoppy Variety Pack, so you can have multiple options in one package. It's sure to please everybody, whether it's at your tailgate or your campfire or wherever else you are enjoying your beer. All right, T. Frank, we wrapped up the first quarter with me putting words in your mouth about uh, replacing <laughs> Sean Clifford. Yeah. Let's move on. There were actually other players on the field besides the quarterback that I'd like to talk to you about. Let's hit up that offensive line that, again, was without – Uh, Multiple starters. This is several weeks now. And it was without a couple players that James Franklin is trying to protect their red shirt. So what we had, one of the most interesting statistics from this game was four out of five offensive linemen played every offensive snap. Yep. The only substitution was that right tackle where Bryce Effner came out for a few plays. How did they hold up? I know for Drew Shelton, we're all rooting for the, fr- the true freshman that carry the load. He had a couple hiccups, though, in this game that we saw.
2: Yeah, so there were some good run plays. Uh, that's kind of what he's been doing is flashing really great run plays. And then, uh, you know, this was the first defense. Greg Schiano is not messing around. He's going to attack a weakness. And Penn State's tackles in this game, and Bryce Efner at times can be susceptible to uh, giving up pressure, uh, they were a weakness. Now, I will give him credit that he had, his sack came on a bad chip play. So the running back is coming out of the backfield, and he throws his shoulder into well, the just pass to clarify, rusher.
1: You're talking about Drew Shelton now, not No,
2: Efner. no, I'm talking about Bryce oh, Efner. Efner. Okay. Efner. I want to give Efner credit because he was credited with a sack. He was not great, but he was the the sack he gave up, The I think it was Catron Allen, chipped the guy so hard that he actually knocked him to efner's inside and if efner's setting outside then it basically gives the guy a free run to the to the quarterback even though like it was he had a plan it just was executed badly because of the interference from the running back which happens a lot on chip plays by the way like it is something that that's not uncommon but with drew shelton he just got beat a couple times like he this is the first defense that's had a real pass rush that can challenge them and and Consider it challenged. Uh, we saw the low end of what Drew Shelton might be this season, and uh, and they were still able to work around it. And this is, again, where you look at Sean Clifford, and when he gets pressured and they got pressure early in the game, that's what kind of caused the whole thing that we just talked about, of the, the rattled decision-making, where they're playing man coverage, so he's going to run as his second read against man coverage almost every time. And then, again, zone coverage, and he was pressured in the pocket. He he didn't keep his eyes up to look downfield to find uh, receivers because he was getting hit, and he was trying to leave the pocket. He's anticipating the pressure, but the pressure was there. So, Drew Shelton, a couple bad losses, too. So, it's like different variations of giving up pressure. You know, you stay in front of the guy, but he makes the quarterback move. You know, a hit. A clean hit, a sack, all those things of, you know, how bad did it mess up the play? And there was a couple times where plays were were killed because Shelton gave up immediate pressure on the quarterback. Um, But they adjusted over time, and they stopped putting those guys in those situations, and they were able to find a way for it to work. And they just straight up dropped back and passed and did a better job pass protecting. So as, as much as I'm pointing out it was his worst game so far, They were still able to put up, I think, 30-some points offensively, and and he was a part of that. So I thought Sal Wormley wasn't great as a pass protector. Saw him give up some pretty ugly pressures as well. Um, I I guess I wasn't keying in as much on the interior in my film review as I was the quarterback uh, because he was the most prominent thing that was happening to the offense. But in general, they were... Whenever they got an even strength play in the run game, they were able to move guys and get yardage. So I think overall they had a good game, but the lows were highlighted because of the way it affected the quarterback.
1: I do think, though, we're still looking at Drew Shelton. you got to mark him a bit on a curve. This is a true freshman playing on the offensive line. Uh, So you've got to adjust how you review him. But I think just the fact that he's getting all this experience, too. I know uh, James Franklin talked about preserving his red shirt. My take on it is if this guy's playing left tackle as a true freshman, uh, even though it was because of an injury, he's probably not going to be around for five years anyway. And and
2: James Franklin said after the game, like, if we're going to... If he's going to play seven games and start a significant number of those, that's a that's worth burning a red shirt, which also is him not saying out loud but admitting that Olufashinu isn't playing this weekend either. Uh, and he said that post game. So yeah, it, and and this is establishing a baseline too for me. So so this is does Penn State going into the game against Michigan State does Penn State have to worry about? Drew Shelton or has he progressed to the point that he is now a capable starter and the answer at this point is still no he will give up some bad pressures that you weren't getting earlier in the season so it's kind of an information gathering about what are the highs and lows of Drew Shelton and you know that's that's something that we need to know going into these games is that and this is a conversation I've had with a couple people, is like, oh man, if only we had gotten Ohio State and Michigan at the end of the season, because look how good the team is playing after blowing out four of five opponents, and it's like, football's based on matchups, and you don't have an offensive line right now that you started the season with. So like, let's keep all of that in perspective. They faced a team that could pass rush this past weekend, and we saw the results of it. So that might happen again this weekend, and it might cause another frustration for the offensive line. So that's kind of why we have to talk about those things and say them out loud. And even though like we understand it's a freshman and we're not going to throw him out with the garbage at the end of the season saying he can't play. Like obviously this is the beginning of his play.
1: Let's switch over to the defensive side. T Frank. I know Joey Porter Jr. Was missing uh, for the second game, but the DBs played well, they held up well and they didn't have a good quarterback going up against them. I'm more curious on your take on the linebackers where Curtis Jacobs made his back way back to the lineup. Abdul Carter seems to be becoming a star. How about the rest of that group, the middle linebackers that we were so concerned about at the beginning of the year, Elston and King, how are they holding up and the rest of the linebackers?
2: Um, Kobe King is getting better. This is an area where we talk about the, the growth of the the defense in the front seven of guys understanding their roles and understanding what the defense is trying to accomplish, not just be in this gap and do it this way. It's like be in this gap because we're trying to do this and then kind of getting the big picture of the defense. I think some of the young players are starting to get it. Even some of the older players are starting to get it where you had a better sense of it, but everyone's on the same page where Curtis Jacobs is playing better than he did at the beginning of the season. Abdul Carter uh the end the light has come on and it's a spotlight, you know? Like he is a shining beacon of a football player. And then with King, you know, that's kind of the kind of the same thing with Curtis Jacobs of he's playing much better because he understands conceptually what is asked of him. Plus they've been playing worse teams that do kind of basic things and don't necessarily challenge you with uh you know talent or scheme or some of these other things but give them credit that they've been shutting down what is expected of them on the last three games. Uh, And then Tyler Elston is what he is. You know, like I thought he played fine to begin the season. He's playing fine now considering he's a limited football player and he's helped them get through a lot of games this year and play well as a defense. The upper ends of his physical abilities are apparent and it hurt them at times and it might hurt them in the future. But, uh, you know, overall, the defense is playing very, very good.
1: I love that damning with faint praise. It was fine. He was fine. How do you feel when your <laughs> wife says that to you, to you, Frank? It was fine.
2: Well, that's the Let's- thing is, like, I have I have high-end levels of talent, so I don't get that, and if I do, I have to correct my play. <laughs>
1: All right. Hey, I want to ask you about Manny Diaz. I am yeah. appreciating him more and more every week. And I find myself, whenever there are sacks or just pressures on the quarterback, watching the replay, I hit the pause button. And I highlighted, I believe it was the Curtis Jacobs hit and then uh, Tig Brown picking up and returning it. I watched slow motion, frame by frame. Mm -hmm. There were seven players on the line of scrimmage threatening. yep, And two defensive ends backed off. Yep. So you still had five guys rushing, only one of them a defensive lineman. But a real tiny thing to you, Frank, that I took note of was both defensive ends, they weren't too quick to drop off. They actually, it looked like, took a step forward first, yeah. which made yeah, yeah. the offensive linemen have to react to them. So they timed their bailing out, I thought, really well. It just felt well coached. And I'm just wondering how an offensive line and a young quarterback is going to deal with that.
2: Uh, you just described the play that during the Ohio State game we talked 20 minutes about and how terrible it was. And this is what happens when it works. This is, this is the result of when a schemed play works well because those defensive ends... So it, there, there's two parts of this. First is that um, you're correct in what they're doing. You know They're faking the rush. So that the linemen try and go with their original s- assignment, which would be the bit you know big first. But this is there's there's multiple layers to this where the Rutgers was wrong and they were bad. Um, Penn State's scheme and the alignment of players um, is also important. So let's break it down quickly. You have uh, Zane Durant over the nose over the nose of the center, so he's occupying the center. Then you've got three guys to that side to the left side. Uh, Curtis Jacobs in the A-gap, and then you've got, I do don't—I rem- think it might have been Daquan Hardy and Adisa Isaac yes. outside. Because of the alignment of the, the center and the nose guard, they've got to make some choices. So the running back was wrong, and then the guard looks to the wrong player, so you get free pressure up the A-gap. You should always go, when blocking, biggest threat is inside to the weakest threat, the outside, and then that becomes the quarterback's man if they all blitz. And they did that wrong. They went outside to inside, giving Curtis Jacobs a free run to the quarterback because of what you described, but also the alignment of those players. Um, It works better against teams that don't have great quarterbacks to make those pre-snap adjustments and set the protection and watch film to know, like, hey, this is what they're likely to do here. So it worked perfectly. And that was the goal against Ohio State. It just worked better here.
1: And the difference also, the Ohio State game, I remember you and I talking about it. I appreciate you bringing it up. The defensive ends did not get back into coverage. Yep. Where this time they did. Huge difference there, T. Frank. All right, that's it for quarter number two. Stick around. Quarter number three, we got your questions. We're going to ask T. Frank.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in Central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, Newtrail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the Newtrail Hoppy Variety Pack. Newtrail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser. Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.
0: Welcome back to the keystone kickoff show brought to you by new trail brewing company new trail beers are brewed right here in central pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week when you're in happy valley be sure to find new trail at wr hickey and other craft beer retailers welcome back to the keystone
1: kickoff show it is quarter number three that means it's time to ask T frank This is where we take your questions and we ask T. Frank. It could be recruiting, football, life in general, whatever you want. At the end of the segment, we're going to pick out a best question. Well, T. Frank will pick out the best question. And you'll get a prize pack from our friends at New Trail Brewing. And it feels like I always have to answer this question. No, they're not going to send you beer. I know that would be great. No, we can't do it. Sorry about that. But you're still going to get some great stuff from our good friends at New Trail Brewing. Are you ready to go, T. Frank?
2: Let's do it.
1: All right. Let's see. I'm going to start with Jimmy in Forest City. Again, a good friend of the show. Jimmy asked this, T. Frank, and I'm curious about the answer to this, too. Based on your film evaluation, does Olu fashion warrant a first round NFL draft grade. I keep hearing that he might be a top five selection. The kid's so young and I'd love to see him come back next year when we have a real chance to make the college football playoffs. I think Jimmy is guilty (laughs) of what we all, I think all of our best players should come back to you, but let's talk about his evaluation. I think a lot of folks have been surprised that he's being talked about, not just as a first round pick, but even like a top 10 or top five pick.
2: Well, let's not skate over the college football playoff part, too. And I understand, like, there's a a lot of good football players that are coming back and that have talent and are young, but, uh, you know, every season is its own, and we still got to unbox this new quarterback, you know. That's going to be a big part of next season, is finding out what Drew Aller actually is. But to the question. Yes, he is a first round draft pick. Is he a first round draft pick and a top five pick this year? Uh that's where I think I get into the minutiae i've i've this is something I think I've said before. I've talked about it on the Blue White Illustrated message board when I went in and I dug into talent and age along the offensive line. It's a big part of it. James Franklin talks about it's hard to come in and play and uh and be young. And be on the offensive line. It's the same thing in the NFL. NFL offensive linemen typically have their breakout seasons much later than their draft status, unless they're an older, more complete football player. So, Fashanu will be 20 when he's drafted. He's 19, I think he turns 20 in December. To me that's a part of this conversation is he has been in the Penn State weightlifting program for 3 years. He'll go through the combine testing. He's going to do great in all of those things. But I think there are two things to me that are important. And the number one thing is run blocking where I don't know that like I understand he has great play strength as a pass protector, but his technique and kind of his raw movement power still needs some work uh, as a run blocker. I don't think he's consistent there yet. So could he get there as an NFL football player? Yeah, but it might take a team two years. And do you want a top five pick if you're a team that want... Because you got to start right away if you're a top five pick. And the only 20-year-old that has come in, and I'm doing this based off PFF grades, so take that for however, however you want it, um, I generally t- trust PFF uh, blocking grades specifically in terms of a production unit for an offensive lineman. Um, The only 20-year-old that's had any success since 2017 in the top 25 of drafted linemen was uh, Panay Sewell, who we all saw as a generational talent. I think Fashenu as a pass protector is a generational talent. Six-foot-six, long arms, great technique, great footwork, play strength, core strength, he can anchor. He's got all of that, and that's what makes him the top five pick. But consistency of play, to me, is important, and uh, I'm a little more conservative, you know. If I were an NFL GM, I'd probably miss on some players because they don't take the risk on the development aspect. Because I want a guy that can come in and play. So I that's where I think you might see people poke holes in him as the draft process wears on, and we try to find everything wrong with every football player. You're going to find some plays where he's not great at run blocking. So that's the the long answer on is he a first round pick? Even if he went this year, yes. Is he a top-five pick this year? Possibly. It, it, somebody has to do the traits thing. They have to see what he's going to be at the end and want to buy in on that.
1: And I would think uh, this injury doesn't help his cause because there's just not enough on tape there. Let's go to Rob in Columbus, Georgia, who says, Agree or disagree? On both offense and defense, Penn State is making in-game adjustments better than they have in recent years. If you agree, to what do you attribute it to? Uh,
2: the coordinators. <laughs> so, so that's that's their job is to go through. This is what we talked about with Sean Clifford. It, it takes a so there's the execution of your game plan coming in, and I think Mike your stage has come out with a very strong game script a lot of times where they they come in and they have a really good first series. I'm thinking, the, was it the Indiana game, or it was another game in this kind of long run of blowouts where they, they came in with a great opening script and scored a touchdown, and then they were frustrated for a quarter and a half. So you have to find out what they're trying to do. What's the new wrinkle? And that does take a couple of plays. You can't just see one play and say, oh, okay, so I know what they're doing now. It takes a little bit of evidence to build up and that is that is why sometimes in the second quarter, everything slows down as the other team adjusts and their game plan is put into effect. So, yeah, I think they are adjusting better, but part of this is also the execution of the original plays by the quarterback, which has been an issue at times this season of if it's just a standard drop back and you miss the player that you're supposed to throw the football to, that's not, that's not game plan adjustment. That's just execution. Defensively, um... I think that they've been able to adjust over the season. I don't know that they've necessarily adjusted as much in-game recently. They've just been successful because what they do has been overwhelming talent on the defensive line, and that that super helps. So I'd say, yes, they are adjusting better, but I also think from the defensive side, the game plan has been good coming in, and it's it's worked for the past month and a half.
1: I'm also going to mention, I know this isn't necessarily in-game, but through the season, you see the adjustments, specifically that short yardage and that T formation. They are doing. They tried something different. Things weren't working, so they adjusted, and they're doing something different, and it seems to be working, which yeah. is nice to see also, T. Frank. Let's go to Nick in Paoli, who says, Hey, T. Frank, I love your analysis. I was wondering, though, when you watch tape, is there anything you see that often bothers you that makes you question the coaching?
2: Uh, no, not really, uh, because, you know, I think it's the opposite where you you kind of see when you watch, you know, from the all 22 angle or you watch the full play outside of just watching the football, you can see more of the plan. You can see more of, okay, this is what they're trying to do, and it's not obscured by the individual that is operating the play or, the, or one of the players that makes a mistake. You kind of get to zoom out and see the full diagram, and that makes me appreciate more of what they're trying to accomplish. Generally, I think offensive coordinators call pretty good plays. There have been times that I've thought, okay, maybe this is a bit too aggressive, Uh, I I said specifically the game plan against Michigan was bad on both sides of the football. I thought that was the one game that I was was not in lockstep with them. But then, as we talked about in the last question, the adjustments and the evolution over time, especially on the offensive side of the ball, has been phenomenal. And that does coincide with both tight ends being healthy, which was the whole conversation coming into the game. That was the whole game, was having two tight ends and using them in a variety of ways. And they've been able to finally unlock that. So I'd say it's the opposite. Where take that the play we just talked about against Rutgers, where they get a free they get a free rusher and a sack and a forced fumble and a touchdown. Um, that's how it's supposed to work. And when you see how it's supposed to work, you go, okay, yeah, that's a good plan, like that's a good design. But if you don't execute it, or the other team has a workaround for it, then you you get you get what you get, you know, in those situations. And it it not say it's random, but there are. A lot of variables beyond what the, the coach calls as to how the play ends, if that makes sense.
1: I'm going to take the question a little bit differently as opposed to just overall strategy, but like an individual thing, I go crazy when a defensive player wants to blow up the, the ball carrier instead of rapping. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I know that's not coaching because I'm sure the coach is trying to coach correct technique.
2: <laughs> I've watched them do but... the the tackling circuit for three months now, and it's always wrap, get under the hips, drive. Like it, it's always wrap up, you know, link your arms, all that stuff. They're teaching all the proper stuff, and then the dude wants to get out there and be on Sports Center, and uh, then you get what you get. <laughs>
1: And I'll tell you what, I did take note of it a couple weeks ago. I think it was Johnny Dixon, I'm not sure. Did that put a hit on a player, didn't rap, and they were right by the Penn State sideline, and Terry Smith was right there indicating to rap. So yep. that was good to see. But I see that throughout football, and it bothers me so much when I see that, T. Frank. Let's go to uh, Sean in Fairfax, Virginia, who says... I have a solution to Sean Clifford's issues. Feels like every time they do a two-minute style offense, he becomes an All-American. And all other times, we're holding our breath. I can't be the only person to notice this. Why haven't they implemented this style more often? Before you answer, I just want to indicate, I've talked about this before with Sean Clifford. It does seem like he doesn't think too much when they're in a (laughs) two-minute offense, and it does seem like he performs better.
2: Yeah, first off, uh, shout out to Fairfax, Virginia, the home of Tony Rojas, a uh, Penn State commit, who had a great game that uh, my uh, colleague Ryan Snyder was at on Friday. Um, yeah, they do this. They do. They do go no huddle. They do go hurry up. But you have to be selective with it because here's the other thing: is like this offense is not the 1994 Bills or the 1987 Bengals or whatever the whatever the first iteration of the full no huddle was. They have to be strategic with it because if you go three and out or he throws an interception or you, you put the defense in bad situations, there is a balancing act. And, and secondarily, um, you don't want to go too fast and then uh, make mistakes that way. You know, that's kind of the, the, the double-edged sword of it is that defenses will then adjust and react. And they'll have a better plan for it. So it's better to be unpredictable with your tempo. And Penn State used tempo to score a touchdown against Rutgers. When when they finally got a good play, they hammered, they came back, they got another play. They got a chunk play of 25 yards uh, because they knew that they were going to get a similar play call. um, And so they could predict what they were going to get and give Clifford that opportunity. But you can't always do it. Uh, But it is something that they have to do more, and they have to make sure that they're able to communicate and do all those things effectively. You're you're not wrong. It's just there is diminishing returns on that particular style of play, especially over time throughout the season, because the more you do something, the more there's a plan to stop it, which is why next season, Manny Diaz's defense, I'm fascinated to see how the the Big Ten adjusts.
1: That is it, T. Frank, for quarter number three. Stick around, quarter number four. We're going to name our winner. Stay tuned. For daily coverage of the school, team, and place you
0: love. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T E K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers. And welcome back to the Keystone
1: Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carp. T. Frank, we just got done with our Ask T. Frank segment. Everybody waiting with bated breath for your announcement of our winner.
2: We're going to go with Jimmy in Forest City. Uh, I enjoy, my one of my first loves was the NFL draft, probably even before college, uh, you know, and doing what I do now. So I like the opportunity to talk about players as draft picks and and olu Fashinu and and the subtle intricacies of what i see now does that make me a contrarian and not going with the traits based analysis and the the kind of basic bs that you get everywhere else yeah does that mean i'm right not necessarily because it's going to take one team to take him in the top five so i like that conversation jimmy and four city
1: my money's on you, though, T. Frank, and your evaluation. And you know what? I, I, thought, and we talked a little bit about this off the air. But sometimes these folks that are quote unquote the experts, the end result is they don't necessarily have the better opinion. So my money's on you, T. Frank. All right, let's uh, let's look forward here a little bit. Michigan State is ahead for Penn State. And Michigan State is always an interesting team. Real quick, before the season started, when we predict how we feel the team's going to do, my take is I predict the wins, I predict the losses, and then there's the couple games left over that I look at as the toss-ups. And I had Michigan and Ohio State as losses. I had seven wins as sure things. And the three question marks I had were Purdue, Penn State won that one, Auburn we know what they did there and Michigan State and my statement on Michigan State is we have no idea before the season which Michigan State we're going to have this season yeah is it going to be that 10-11 win team or is it going to be that team that falls apart and by the end of the year they're just a disaster on the surface it looks like we got the latter and not the former Yeah,
2: um, this is what they were last year, though, except they had Kenneth Walker. So they had a very, very good football player who stepped in the NFL a couple weeks ago and is now one of the most dangerous running backs in in the league. Um, So, yeah, that's that's what you get when you have a singular talent. You bring a lot of players in through the transfer portal. The turnover has been extensive, and they they don't really have a, a set program building thing right now. So year two is rougher than year one, and uh, we'll see coming up this weekend. I, to me, not to make it all about Penn State, but this is the same thing. The last words I said about Penn State before the game, when I was on a pregame show, was I trust this team, but I don't trust Sean Clifford. <laughs> and I I didn't know that I was being prophetic about this weekend, or this past weekend, but it turned out I was, uh, so that I'm just going to say it again. I trust this defense. I trust the running game. I do not trust the quarterback. So, what happens this weekend is going to be largely determined by the plan to mitigate him and accentuate everything else.
1: I think you make a good point. We've now reached the point, or I have, where I trust that defense. I trust the defensive coordinator. I trust the talent on the field. I trust that even with a guy as good as Joey Porter out that you're still going to get a good effort from the defense. It's just too deep, too well-coached. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, though, in talking about the Rutgers game, you talked about them being able to put some pressure on the quarterback. They have some talent on the defensive line, specifically at the defensive end position. Is Michigan State another team that could create problems in that way for Penn State's offensive line, and hence Sean Clifford. Uh,
2: Potentially. So they, they have a competent defensive line, you know, good, good run. It's kind of the same thing that Michigan state has always been good run stuffers. uh, And then a mix of some decent pass rushers, but it's not like, uh, I want to say it was like 2017, 18, where they had some legitimate pass rushers. Like they had a run of one or two really good pass rushers. I, I, I am I'm am very early in my film analysis. I actually got to see them a little bit more. So, you know, we're at the end of the season, so there's a cumulative sort of thing of watching them against X, Y, and Z, and then I did a little bit of individual stuff on their offense before the show today. Um But what I've seen of their defense is kind of the same thing. Gritty, tough, good run defenders, so nothing's going to come easy. And then a couple guys that have power and a couple guys that have a, a little bit of speed. And any one of those things could affect Drew Shelton or could affect... um uh Bryce Effner, if Caden Wallace doesn't play. Uh, but I don't I don't we're still learning about Drew Shelton. He struggled with bull rushes last week, but he was able to at least stay in front of the guy. Um is that the case this week? Because are these guys better or worse? I don't see a single individual that is better than the um seventy one for Ruckers last week, but I see more players that are more competent across the defensive line that could cause Some issues. So that's kind of the first thing I'm going to dig into with Rucker or with Michigan State this week is the defensive line and their level of talent.
1: On the other side of the ball, it's Peyton Thorne at quarterback. I don't know how many years he's been there, but it seems like a very long time. Uh, And, you know, looking up his numbers, it just seems like here's a pretty average quarterback, average number 63% completion, 18 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Jalen Berger, he was brought in, I believe, from Wisconsin. He was supposed to be this year's version of Kenneth Walker, you know, the transfer running back who's going to carry the load, averaging 4.7 yards a carry. Jaden Reed is their leading wide receiver. Again, another familiar name. Seems like he's been there for a while. How dangerous is this Michigan State offense, though?
2: Oh. Uh... That's a good question. Um, I'm so let me start. Let me start up front because that's what I was doing the work on before we we started talking and, and and I'm not trying to evade the question. They are an interesting unit in that. I think there's a lot of guys that have traits. I don't like there's a lot of stiff unathletic dudes, but then every once in a while they surprise me with some of the things they can do and it kind of gets you to a point where I'm like, okay, this is a competent offensive line. I think. Baseline, there's a lot of competency from Michigan State in, in this year. And Peyton Thorne is a – he's the type of quarterback that is um, – from what I was watching earlier today, the thought that crossed my head is I hope I find something someday that loves me as much as he loves throwing away the ball and living to see another day. Because he's a dude that will will, in the end zone, throw the ball away so that he doesn't take a sack, even if he has a play he could make That may be a little bit dicey. Um, I still got to do some work on on him. I think average is a good way to put it. And average is a good way to put... Frank,
1: might you describe him as fine? Yeah, he's fine.
2: Yeah. But there's there's, a, there's enough danger there that Penn State can't sleepwalk through the game. He can actually throw the ball over the middle and hit a receiver in zone coverage. He can throw the ball and be generally accurate down the field. So you can't just say Penn State's going to beat this team. It's not the last three weeks. You actually have to show up to this game, and you have to take it to this team. So I guess that's kind of where I'm I'm my start of my analysis is, and that goes with the receivers as well. They got some guys that can be dangerous, but if you play good football, then no, they aren't that dangerous.
1: I know, T. Frank, you don't like this type of question. You look at the X's and O's. I sometimes look at the emotion of a team. Do they want to be there? Are they prepared? And I've read a few things from the Michigan State side of things that – this is a team that will be up for this game because that means a ball game if they win. I'm wondering how important that is to this Michigan State team so that they could go to the weed-eater podunk ball by going 6-6. Six and six. My feeling is that this is a Michigan State team that's not playing really for something and has packed it in, and I think the point spread, which is like 18 points, kind of reflects that. yeah. Um,
2: I think it also depends on, and this is where I don't have the information, like, is Mel Tucker a good coach? We, we've we been told by the the actions of Michigan State and last year that he's a good coach, but is he a good leader that has this team focused and ready to play and wants, you know, all of those things? Because I don't factor those things in necessarily because I consider that if you're playing at this level, that's one – it's a prerequisite. Kind of like when we talk about toughness of a football player, and I I say – Toughness is a prerequisite. Now, there are outliers, usually. We find them, and then we talk about them incessantly. But that, to me, is like, if you're playing football, you've got to be tough, and you've got to be focused, and this has got to be something you take seriously. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, But there are levels to that, and there are degrees to that. So that's why I don't really know the answer to that, is I don't really know, is Mel Tucker really a great coach that has his team focused and prepared? They did not play well against Indiana. Um, But that leads me to one of the things that I have seen from this team, kind of pivoting back to the X's and O's. For the second year in a row, I don't know that I've seen a team make as many mental mistakes and coverage busts in the secondary as I've seen this Michigan State team make. They love to chase things. They love to see something, run after it, try to be a playmaker, and then be completely out of position, giving up big plays. So... You know, This is a game why, where if I seem a little hesitant at the beginning of the week, it's because I need to do some deep diving to, to know if the run game can support Penn State. Because if it's on Sean Clifford, I don't know what to expect. And this is a game that last year it should have been on Sean Clifford. But two inches of snow on the ground during the second half caused the, the footing and everything else that we saw. So if that shouldn't be the case this week. They should be able to throw the football. Um, but without Parker Washington, where does that land? Um, so I, I think the tight ends are going to be a big factor this week, and vertical passing has to be a big factor this week. Um, and that will tell me all that I need to know about toughness and focus, is did they execute the game plan well? Because there are things you can take advantage of against this team.
1: All right, T. Frank, it's that time. I know you haven't finished your film study. Need a prediction, and we need your bold prediction for the week.
2: Um. Well, let's... I know this, isn't, this is not going to sound like a bold prediction, given that no one likes this Michigan State team, but my bold prediction is that they're going to get another blowout, that Penn State's going to get another big win because uh, the defense is going to be that good. This Michigan State offensive line is good. It's, it's okay. It's you know kind of an average good Big Ten offensive line. The way that Penn State's been playing up front, I don't see them being able to corral the Nittany Lions for the entire game. If Joey Porter Jr. plays, that's a huge bonus. Um, they're they're kind of rolling right now, and they're going to steamroll this team. So my prediction is Penn State's going to win. My bold prediction is they're going to get another blowout to bring symmetry to the season.
1: Very good, T. Frank. If they can accomplish that, it will be a 10-win season. Considering where they started the year unranked, that's not too too bad a finish for them. I think you're right. I think they will finish with a blowout win here because of the way that defense has played consistently well over the last several games. That is it for today's show, though. Thank you, T. Frank, and thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in Central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, Trail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the Trail Hoppy Variety Pack. Trail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser. Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.